Good morning. Welcome to Midway. We're so thankful that you're here. As was announced just a little while earlier, we do have a good number who are still in Childersburg. They're probably finished up by now. They're on their way to the various places. Some of them are coming here. Some of them had some other things that they were going to be doing as well. But uh, we are thankful that we had some time to spend together. All together, we had at least 40 who were there at some time or another. Not everybody got to stay at the same time, but we had 40 or 41. I, I have to look back at the sheet, but we're thankful for everyone who was able to be at the family retreat. Hope that you'll spend some time with us there next year. I'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that we did tonight. But this morning as we begin our lesson, I want you to think about a question. We've been doing that all year. But I also want us, when we're thinking about this question, to go back and to get a little bit of the detail behind it before we ever get into that particular question. As we begin our lesson this morning, I want you to think about the first time that Jesus said something to his disciples about him being crucified, about him being put to death, being raised on the third day. And I want you to think about what a shock it must have been for them to hear that. They had been with him, they had seen him perform miracles, they had heard him preach, and they had placed their faith in him that he would be the king. And if you remember, they were looking for not a king from heaven, they were looking for a king who would be the deliverer who would take them out from under the Roman Empire's influence. And so this morning as we think about them and we think about what is going on, we have to put firmly in our mind what was in their mind. Jesus just said, I am going to die. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days be raised again. That word began is... Uh, a, a very interesting word, not from the standpoint of study, but interesting where it is. This seems to be the first time that Jesus is telling them that. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, at verse 21, in Matthew's account, the Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, and he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and so forth. And so it's at that point, the point that John, that Mark rather is, is talking about, same point that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus tells his disciples, I am going to die. Now let me ask you the question this morning. If you had been with him and you had heard him and seen the things that he was able to do, what would your reaction have been to hearing those words? I'm going to die. What would your reaction have been to hearing that? I dare say that there were, will probably be some here this morning who are pretty much just like Peter. Now, sometimes Peter is the one that we want to imitate. He's the one that we want to, you know, sort of be like. But sometimes Peter gets ahead of himself. Because Peter always seems to be swift to speak and slow to hear. Now, the book of James tells us to be swift to hear and slow to speak, but Peter sort of gets that backwards. He's the one who's always speaking up. And so if you continue reading there in the book of Mark chapter 8, and you look at verse number 32, and I hope you have your Bible this morning, the Bible says, 
And uh, he, said, uh, he said this plainly, that he is, he's going to be put to death. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He took him aside and said, hey, you've lost your mind. You know, you don't need to be talking like that. Something's wrong with you. You need, you, you really, they, don't you know how much power you have? Don't you know that you can stop this? Don't you know that, that you don't have to suffer? And, and Peter may even have said something like this. The Lord didn't see fit to tell us everything he said. Just says that he rebuked him. But we know later on, Peter says, hey, Lord, I'm going to stand with you till I die. Uh, they're going to have to get through me first. He may have said some things like that. Whatever it was he said, the Bible says that Peter began to rebuke him. And if you continue reading into the next verse, verse number 33, the Bible says, And turning and seeing the disciples, his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. You know, those are some pretty tough words. Get behind. Jesus calls Peter Satan here in this place. Get behind me, Satan. You know, I can't imagine that Jesus is joking. I, I just can't see him in this serious a matter joking about what Peter has said and, and just, you know, flippantly calling him a name. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, Why? Why would Jesus uh, rebuke uh, uh, Peter in this way? And why was it so strong? Well, I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus is perhaps refighting the temptations first fought, he first fought in the wilderness. You say, preacher, I just don't know about that. I want you to think about something this morning. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4, near the end of the, the chapter, the Bible speaks about our high priest who is Jesus. And the comfort that we should have in having him because he knows our weaknesses, he knows what it is to live a human life. But that passage also says that he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. I suggest to you this morning that 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 when Satan took Jesus into the wilderness back in the book of Matthew chapter number 4, he wasn't doing that just to have exercise. Uh, the Bible talks about how that Jesus was tempted. We know the three temptations that are there. We could talk about them this morning. You know, we could lay them all out. point I want to make this morning, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And now he is telling Peter, he says, get behind. Was Peter reminding him in a certain way of what Satan had done previously? Was Jesus fighting back the temptation to go back to heaven, just give up on mankind and forget about us rather than going through what he himself would suffer? He said, get behind me, Satan. You see, Jesus heard in Peter that voice of Satan, I believe. And, and not only that, but what we need to understand, the tempter's voice is never louder than when it comes from one of our friends, someone who is near to us. They can persuade us to do more things than we ever can imagine. 
They can, they can take us in the right direction, and that's a good thing, or they can take us in the wrong direction. And so when Peter, whatever he says to Jesus and tells him, hey, this is not going to happen, you know, it probably had an effect on Jesus. And so Jesus makes this statement. You know, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that as we look at this passage, we begin to see inside the mind of Jesus uh, we do know that, that, that Jesus follows up what he said about get behind me, Satan, by telling Peter this. He says, you, and I'm going to paraphrase this, you're not thinking about what God thinks about. You're thinking about only what you want. You're thinking about you. You're thinking about way, uh, things the way a man thinks about things. Now, as we continue on tonight, we know that, or this morning rather, we know that Jesus knew his mission was to die on the cross. That's what his mission was. That's why he came to earth. He knew what his mission was before he ever left. And so as we look at Matthew, or rather Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, knowing his mission... And knowing that he himself could be tempted to abort that mission, that, that he could be tempted to, to turn aside from that, Jesus makes another statement. In verses 34 and 35, the Bible says, "...and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, "...if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Think about the context of the setting. Jesus had just said, I'm going to die. Peter had just pulled him aside and rebuked him for saying that. Jesus in turn rebukes Peter because he's not thinking correctly. And now, to minimize the damage and to teach us, even 2,000 years later, he calls that crowd together and said, you're going to have to be just like me. You're going to have to deny yourself. Do you think Jesus wanted to die? Do you think he wanted to be crucified? Do you think he wanted to suffer for six hours on that Friday? in a way that's almost humanly unimaginable. And before that time that he was nailed to the cross, he was beaten half to death. Do you think he was looking forward to that? And the thing about it was, he could have stopped it. Remember, he tells us, even at the cross, I could call down more than 12 legions of angels. It put a stop to this. He could have stopped it, but what did Jesus do? He denied himself. What was Peter trying to get him not to do? Peter was trying to get him not to, not to give in and be crucified. Peter didn't understand all of it. I understand that. But Jesus had to deny himself. And then he added to that, take up your cross and do exactly like me. That's the context of what we're reading here. 
And you know what? As we look at that, Jesus simply is challenging those who follow Him to make some choices. To make some choices about their life. And Jesus continues challenging not only those folks, but He challenges us today because it's recorded for us. And we know that it applies to us. One must choose to deny himself. Will we? One must choose to take up his cross. Will we? One must choose to be willing to lose his life. Will we? But I want you to notice in particular this morning that Jesus says that you are to do these things for two reasons. Have you ever noticed that? For two reasons. For my sake, he says there in verse 35, and for the gospel's sake. For my sake and for the gospel's sake. You know, there are a lot of people who love Jesus, but they don't really think a whole lot about the gospel. The good news, the word of God. I want Jesus, but I don't want him to give me any instructions about what to do. I don't want him telling me what I can't do. <coughs> Jesus said to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him, and be willing to lose your life for my sake, Jesus' sake, and for the gospels. Good friends, I want you to think about this. When we, when we hear that latter part, and for the gospels' sake, what would come to your mind? Somebody says, well, preaching the gospel, that would come to my mind. We're to take the gospel into all the world and, and preach it and teach people, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We can go back to the Great Commission. But it, it doesn't start there. Too many times we get ahead of ourselves. When was the last time we picked up God's Word, the Bible, the New Testament, the Gospel, and spent time in it? Am I willing to give up a little bit of my life, a little bit of my time to learn it? How many times, how, many, how much time, rather, each week do we spend learning the Gospel? I'm not talking about teaching it. I'm talking about putting it in us. Putting it in us. Well, I come to church on Sunday morning, Bible class and worship service. Sunday night, I'm back, and Wednesday night, you're doing good to start with. We don't have enough time in just four services to teach everything God's Word has to say. We've got to spend some time at home. We've got to give up some of our life. We've got to deny ourselves some of the things that we really maybe want to do, like watching some filthy television show in order to study the Word of God. Now that's what Jesus says. He said, I'm going to die. He tells his apostles, I'm going to die. Peter says, no, you're not. Jesus says, yes, I am. You're like Satan. You're trying to get me off track here. And you folks, all of you folks, Peter, you included, and all of these other folks who have been out here listening to me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Be willing to give up your life for the gospel. 
Jesus is not asking any more of them or us than he himself had just affirmed that he was doing. And by the way, that he followed through with. And so that was the challenge that he gives us. We have to make the choice. Are we going to do that or are we not going to do that? These are important, tough decisions that our, that, that our eternal destiny depends upon. So Jesus is directing us to, and challenging us to think carefully about what really matters in life. And then we turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, where we have the basic question of the day. It's in that part of the, this context that Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We could spend time this morning talking about those words, each one individually. The word profit means simply to be useful and to benefit or to gain an advantage. And so what advantage literally is what he's saying for us to, uh, or or what use is it to us to, to gain the whole world? The word gain means really to get gain or to win. Uh, In Matthew 25, verse 16, uh, the man who had five talents made five more talents. In James chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Jesus said, or rather James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go in such and such a town and spend a year there, buy and trade and get gain, some translations say. Same word, make a profit is the way the English standard says it. It's the same word that's in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, W-O-N, they may be one without a word by the conduct of your wives. And so, you know, to, to, get, to gain your husband, to win your husband, to win the whole world. What, what does it profit a man if he won the whole world? What advantage does he have if everything in the earth belonged to him? What advantage does he have <coughs> if he forfeits his soul? The word translated forfeit means to experience detriment. To be cast away to receive damage, to suffer loss. For your soul to be damaged. If you gain the whole world, what advantage do you have if your soul is damaged? I suggest to you this morning that Jesus even teaches that His disciples have a a literal loss of life possible ahead of them. How many of the apostles themselves who were standing there that day forfeited their life rather than their soul? Were crucified or in some other way tortured to death? Some of them have, historically speaking, the best we can tell, you know, perhaps even even by tradition, some of them were chopped up. Only John, we know of, lived to be an old man. 
And so he said, it's possible that you, 12, you may have to give your life. How many of the other folks who were standing there that day gave up some life? When the early church had been established, there were men who were going out and putting them in prison, and there were others who were trying to help execute them. Poor Stephen. Acts chapter 6. Paul, who became a man who would eventually give his life for the gospel's sake, put people in prison. He was standing there the day that Stephen was stoned to death. He went from a persecutor to a preacher. But Jesus said, you know, it's possible that you may literally lose your life. I hope that we would prepare ourselves to if it came right down to it that I'm either going to put a bullet in your head or do something worse to you. If you don't deny your Lord that we wouldn't deny Him. Polycarp said a long time ago as they were about to burn him to death 86 years I've served my Lord. He made it clear he wasn't about to change now. That's what Jesus tells us. Deny yourself. If somebody offered you the whole world, would you deny yourself from taking that or would you take it? Very quickly this morning, I know you've still got several blanks left. You think, hey, we're not going to get through with that sermon. We are, and you won't be here past midnight. As we think about what is said in Mark chapter 8 at verse 38, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels? If we decide to take the world rather than Jesus, it's like saying we're ashamed of you, Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, two can play that game. It's not really a game with me, though. If you deny me, I will deny you when you're standing there needing me most. Standing in front of God. But, but what would make some folks be ashamed of Jesus? I want to list five things this morning. We'll look at them very briefly. You know, in this question, it really warns us of the danger of exchanging one's soul. But what are some of the things that we exchange our souls for? You know, sometimes we exchange our souls for too much concern for the everyday affairs of life. Wasn't there a woman we read about in the book of Luke chapter 10 verses 41 through 42 who was uh, anxious and troubled about many things? And she was just cooking a meal for the Lord. You know, sometimes we're not talking about just being anxious and and concerned about the everyday affairs of life in a bad way. You know, so that I become a bad person. Sometimes we become concerned with the everyday affairs of life doing good things. So much so that we would forfeit our soul by gaining the world in that way. Number two, as we think about it, some exchange their souls for evil associates. 
1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Who do you hang around with? Preachers used to preach on that a lot. Young folks, who are you hanging around with at school? But older folks, who are you hanging around with at work and in recreation and things of that nature? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You don't have to have a whole bunch of your ungodly friend rub off on you to make you do bad things. It only takes a little bit of influence to get you started in that direction. We need to be careful. Number three, some exchange their souls for false doctrines that are taught. We read Matthew 15, 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Oh, how our world needs to take that seriously. Because at the, at the whim of, uh, of individuals, many religious bodies change the entire direction change the entire teachings, change the entire belief system based on what man thinks or wants. Sometimes folks will exchange their soul for a life of sin. We understand that. John 3 verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 tells us that Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. I just wonder if you could speak with Moses today. If he would tell you he thought he made the right choice. What do you think? Pretty sure he'd tell you. Because you know what? He had... He had respect for the ultimate reward. I don't need a palace here. I need a mansion there. I need to be with my father. But then sometimes some exchange their souls for a life of ease. I want you to know something this morning. It takes effort to serve God. It takes effort to serve God. Listen to what Paul wrote, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For to this end we toil. T-O-I-L. That word means grow tired. Be weary. Paul says, for to this end we toil and strive. The word strive means to fight, to struggle. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul seems to indicate there it takes effort to serve God. You know, this, this, this question of what will a man give in exchange for his soul teaches us that we can't have everything. We can't have it everything in life. Mark chapter 8 verse 37, what can a man give in return for his soul? What we really need to understand is we will gain one thing at the loss of something else. We can't have a life of sin now and have a home in heaven later. 
just doesn't work that way. We can't sow to the flesh now and reap eternal life later. In Galatians 3, or 6, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the, from the flesh uh, shall reap con, uh, corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life eternal. You're, you're going to grow and reap, harvest, get your baskets full of whatever it is you sow. And so you can have sin now at the sacrifice of heaven later. Or you can sacrifice sin now for heaven later. The wise trader, according to one of the parables of Jesus, always gives up everything for the kingdom. Matthew thirteen forty-five and 46, kingdom, is heaven, kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He knew what he had. I'm told, I've never been there, there are three inscriptions over the are three doors in the cathedral of Milan, and there are inscriptions over each door. Over the left door are roses with the words, That which pleases is but for a moment. Over the right-hand door, there are thorns with the words, That which troubles is but for a moment. And over the center door... There's a cross with these words. That alone is important that endures forever. I hope we choose the center door. Folks, I only know of one person who has ever been offered the whole world in exchange for his soul. You know somebody who was offered the whole world in exchange for his soul? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All of these will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. You ever thought about that? Jesus was offered the whole world. Satan says, I'll go off and I'll leave you alone if you'll just bow down and worship me. Follow me. What profit would the whole world have been even to Jesus if it meant bowing down to Satan? And Jesus said, and I'm thankful, no thanks. No thanks. Oh, he didn't say it exactly that way. Verse 10 says, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. We're getting offers that are much less in value 
and we're flinging, people in our world are flinging themselves at the feet of Satan as fast as they can get down in front of him. For things of much lesser value. Too many trade their souls for something of lesser value. Have you this morning been selling your soul for a very small price? Not even getting the whole world. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you've been selling yourself out, your soul for a small price, maybe this morning you need to revoke that deal. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. And be willing not just to die for the gospel, but be willing to live for Jesus and the gospel. It may be this morning that you need to put your Lord on in baptism. We'd love to assist you with that. It may be today that you need to make your life right with God. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If you need to respond today, do it right now as we stand and ask.